the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. It is Friday. Friday. I I always... Love Friday. <laughs> it is Brian's favorite day. Yes. Even more than Sunday? I'm a pastor. I can't say that. You Sunday could, is the Lord's you Day. You could say, oh, <laughs> technically Saturday probably is more accurately. That's a good point. <laughs> I love Friday. I also love Saturday. Kids home, kind of get up late. Not get up late, but just kind of have a lazy morning. I love Saturdays. I do like Sundays as well. Do, you, do your kids wake you up early still? No. They don't. No. So they're all we in like full. that script. Man. Dad what? is up first Almost a hundred. When does that time. happen for me? I want. You're a little ways that. away. Am I? I would say like a month or the two. Last, yeah. <laughs> the last one really was my 12 year old son. He was always our early riser, and he's still the earliest of all of them. But okay. he'll still get up at you know he might get up at like eight, seven thirty. Oh, okay. O'clock. Not at all what I'm dealing with. No, no, no. <laughs> but he was always the like six o'clock one. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah, so I'm giving you hope. It will change. Thanks, man. But then you're the old guy who can't sleep in anymore. Oh. It's like God's trick. Yeah, but I kind of don't mind that though. That's nice. I I enjoy it. I like being up first and just. Kinda, I like that. I get a you know yeah, a Christmas break coffee. where I took some time off and kids could sleep in and stuff. I was probably the first one up. Not probably. I was the first one up every single really? day. really every single day. I feel like sometimes it, by hours. No kidding. Yeah. In my head, I kind of romanticize that. I can see that being frustrating if you're like, I just want my body to keep sleeping and it won't. So I I can understand. That. I was never much of a sleep in guy, so it doesn't bother me as much. But I do know some friends who are like, oh, it's the worst. I'm always up. Like I, I could sleep and now I can't. It gets them. Uh, did I give all the information yet? None of the information. Okay, all right. I so... just yelled Happy Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said Friday too. I I triggered you. I'll take yeah, I'll take the blame. Trigger there. me. <laughs> I know you have a problem. Uh, okay, so Facebook Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good at common good talk on Twitter, not on Instagram. So don't look. Uh, we're also podcasted. So if you want, you can uh, like, subscribe, and review. That does help us out a whole lot. You hit that share button and uh, any any help in spreading the word, we do greatly appreciate. We, uh, we assume most of you at this point have heard some interesting news out of the UK. Yes. Uh, it's been kind of all over the interwebs the last few days. And uh, you actually were the one, I think, that alerted me to this a couple of days ago. Why yeah. don't you fill us in with the kind of big umbrella, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. I don't know why these things kind of fascinate me, but uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, hey, they, they've been having this kind of love-hate relationship with being royals. Uh-huh. And uh, if you follow this at all over, over Christmas, they went to Canada for six weeks. And I've learned a lot just reading these stories. Like, did you know uh, – as the princess and the prince, they are given like multi-million dollars a year, f- taxpayer funded. Right. Like it's no small amount of money that they get. There was I knew like, it was taxpayer funded. I didn't it, know it was that much though. It was a half million dollars on their wedding. Uh, 
her uh, wardrobe, I believe I read today, last year or two years ago, was a half million dollars. All of it. No kidding. Yeah. And so uh, it's been like kind of this this kind of back and forth about, you know, Meghan Markle gave an interview a couple months ago where she really talked about how hard it is to be um, in the royal family. So yesterday they came out and said they are pulling back from royal duties uh, and that they are wanting to become financially independent hmm. and uh, that they want to uh, – they're pulling back from the senior roles. And that, there was a lot of where people were like, I'm not sure what all of this means. Um, and so it was fascinating kind of on almost a TMZ celebrity level, right? right? Like could you, people are writing like, can you do this as a royal family? Right. Can you do this? The hard part is now the articles have started coming out, and uh, it turns out that the queen uh, and also it says the queen asked Prince Harry not to issue the statement on Wednesday announcing he and his wife, but he went ahead with it anyway. Hmm. Uh, there seems to be like a lot of anger and, and sadness for and by the queen. Uh, Harry's father and his brother didn't know about it until they heard or read about it. That's crazy. And uh, so part of it is like this kind of watching a train wreck, watching a fascination. But now I've also found myself going, man, what a complicated family. And that's really sad. Like on the on a base level, they're still just a family. They're yeah, the royal right. family. Right. Um, but he's like somebody put it this way. Like, are you allowed to resign from a birthright? And what does that say for your family? What's huh. it say to your brother? What's it say to your dad, your grandmother? And like a lot of the anger in England, the, the the response has not been good in Great Britain. They already removed their wax figures from Madame Tussauds, all that kind of stuff. People are like, well, if you want to become independent, stop taking the money now because they right. said we want to work towards being financially independent. There's rumors that they're going to live half the year in England and half in L.A. So a lot going on out there. Uh, but I have found myself reading it kind of sad for a family, mm. right? Like it's two brothers who lost their mother when they were kids or right. younger. Right. Uh, what trauma does that have? Uh, you got two wives here who doesn't sound like are getting along very well. You've got you've got kids and a grandmother and all this stuff that you can forget that they're that yeah they're the royal family, but they're also just family and and thinking about what it would be like to have kind of your 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 family baggage just paraded out like that right. at all times. It's really hard to think about. And so I've been fascinated more than I thought. I don't know why I'm fascinated by this story, but I've read a lot about it. And uh, uh, but but besides just kind of feeling like you're watching a train wreck, you do kind of feel sad for the yeah. for the dynamics of the familial dynamics going on there. So, OK, because this isn't a gossip show, though, what what do you think? Like what? Besides some of the general large stage drama, like, do you think that there's something about this walking away from power that you find interesting? The willingness to step away from something that's been handed to you for the sake of something else that they see as more important? Like, is there any dynamic there that you find like, oh, there's a Absolutely. narrative that I find fascinating? Why, why do you think that is? I think it's fascinating. A, well, A, it's a cry for help. They've been kind of crying oh, for, okay. for a while. It feels like she especially talked about really feeling um oh it was almost a feeling of claustrophobia right like this oh yeah that's right um there is something to be said about uh saying you know what we want to make it on our own you know we want to raise our kid the way we want to raise our kid and mm -hmm. we want to there is something admirable about that but i think i more feel uh you know the part of this they talk about prince harry is trying to protect his wife who uh, who the British media has quite frankly been pretty bad to uh, also over many ways, some of them, uh, you know, veiled racism towards you. So there seems to be that going on. 
uh, it just makes you know. So there is that. Like you want to be like, right. okay, kind of, kind of set in your own course, and it could cost you a lot of money. Although the cynics out there are saying no, they're going to make more money off this, and they're not. You think so? Up- yeah, I read some stuff about they've trademarked some of the titles and all this stuff. Oh, that, no kidding. Yeah, that they're probably in line to – they're not doing – they're not giving up a lot. They're not going to end up in a one-bedroom apartment. Right, that right. Way. And they're also keeping, some people say, some of the good stuff about being a royal while trying to get rid of the other. I'm just sad for a family. Like I yeah. think about how many broken families we deal with and our own families, some of the stuff we wouldn't want people to know. And you might be, well, well they make a lot of money. It's kind of the trade-off, but I don't make money – makes you immune to family struggles no and not at all like these are two brothers who at least in the media have always seemed really close and now they acknowledge they're not very close anymore and that's pretty sad and i think that is a, a good point too we've mentioned it um in a much different way like with alex trebek where we it's just you know someone we see on our tv screen it can be easy to forget that like oh he's actually really scared uh yeah. at the very least shaken up by having to face his own mortality you yeah. know like that is one of the things that i find and we've done other stories on like what digital communication is doing to us. And I think at a, at a, you know, at a micro level, we can often forget that like the person on the other side of that Facebook chat or the other side of that tweet, like that's a real person and they may not show it or express it, Mm -hmm. but you know, the things that people are saying about them or to them, that stuff's really hurtful. And at the very least you're right. And you were saying this off air yesterday that, you know, just watching this family, not just only implode, but to have to do it on such a grand scale is, uh, is pretty painful. And it feels like, I did not realize how deep a dive you took into this, but I uh, feels like there's a lot of layers as there are. There's a lot of is. things I should know about that I don't take deep dives <laughs> in and some very shallow things I do. Uh, no, I don't think that's shallow. I think this is a story about humanity. It is. And you're a pastor, and a pastor caring about humanity is Thank A-OK you. in my book. I'm good with that. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to stay international. What do you think of that? Let's do it. Uh, so Finland's new prime minister called for a four-day work week or a six-hour work day in a radical proposal to improve work-life balance. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us if you want to. We're all over the interwebs. I don't know why I said that like a a sociopath. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happens from time to time. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. com also works, I think. I'm probably not supposed to say that. 1160hope.com. What? Does WYLL work as well? I think so. Okay. I haven't tested that Okay. recently. I, I, I think right it now. does. I'm probably not even supposed to say that. Either way, it's already happened. It's out, it's, <laughs> it's it's, out there. It's out there in the world. Um, also, we are podcasted, so uh, if you're one of those... One of those people liking, subscribing, and reviewing does somehow magically really help us out. And if you wouldn't mind hitting that share button. And uh, I mentioned earlier, this is news that I imagine a lot of people are probably amped by. Um, I'd be curious to know who the dissenters are because – so it looks like Finland, uh, their new prime minister wants her country on a four-day work week. And I don't know – did I tell the story once that I was in fourth grade or fifth grade? It was before I was homeschooled. We had to write – some kind of proposal. I wrote a proposal to Congress for a four-day work week. It did not to go Congress? through. I did. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't even like address it. Yeah, I can't remember what the assignment was, but I remember writing this whole like eight-page argument for like why we should have Fridays off and like why I thought that was a good model for family health. And I'm sure I wasn't using phrases like uh, work-life balance, yes. but 
That was, uh, yeah. Mommy, hold more. Mommy, hold more. Yeah, this story is near and dear to my heart, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on, and then uh, we'll duke it out. Yeah, there are some interesting uh, backgrounds to this. Like, she is uh, the new Finnish prime minister, uh, Sana Marin, and is only 34 years old, the second youngest head of government in the world. Yeah, what are you doing with your life, Brian? I know, exactly. And she posted her ideas on Twitter late last year, saying it would allow workers to spend more time with their families. She wrote... Shorter working hours can and should be discussed. A four-day week or a six-hour day with a decent wage may be a utopia today, but may be true in the future. And you might be thinking, oh, here we go, another young person, just, you know, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to do this? I didn't realize there is some interesting data uh, to to kind of back it up because um, Finland currently has kind of your normal eight-hour day, five-day work week. Neighboring Sweden had a six-hour day working day, uh, was trialed in 2015, and results showed that employees were happier, wealthier, and more productive. Hmm. Uh, In November, Microsoft Japan took a bold move in a bid to improve work-life balance by introducing a three-day weekend for their employees. The results showed that productivity went up a staggering 40%. Whoa. And so, uh, you know, when I first read this, my first thought was like, well, this would never go over because you're going to lose productivity. You're going to lose production. You're going to lose all of these different things. Yeah, but you're a pastor. You only work one day a week anyway, I was thinking more for people out there listening. Oh, right. Got it. Um, Got it. (laughs) But it's interesting that some of the data from some of the other places that has tried this is showing an increase in productivity. I just think we probably have a hard time believing that. And so – I don't see this entering into our culture anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> Ours but, meaning Western culture. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but it's very interesting. Bold of her. Like, this is what I'm coming in on. Because uh, I could see some of the more old school people being like, oh, this is, you know, socialists or this or whatever. But, uh, yeah, the Finns, what do they know? I don't know that this has anything to do with socialism. But it's like on your move towards it, right? Uh, but I think I think the part to really wrestle with of people out there being like, oh, these people just don't understand hard work or this and that is that – Places like Microsoft and other parts of the country have done this and it increased productivity. And so, therefore, if it increases productivity and that's the goal of many employers, then it's probably something we should, uh, as business owners, as whatever, it's really something we should work uh, wrestle with because it doesn't seem like the benefit is only felt by the worker who's getting more time off. So uh, I found another article. It says Finland has been at the forefront of flexible work schedules for years, starting with a 1996 law that gives most employees the right to adjust their hours up to three hours earlier or later than what their employer typically requires. So in 1996, they uh, they passed that law, which I, you can imagine that being really helpful, actually. Like, oh, man, there's this thing with my kid's game or with the – you know, with the commute or whatever it is to adjust up to three hours. And it goes on to say, uh, Marin is not the first politician to recently float the idea of scaling back work hours. Neighboring Sweden tested out a six hour workday a couple of years ago. And the UK's Labour Party said in September that if elected, it would bring a 32 hour working week to the UK within 10 years. It wasn't elected, however, and the details on how the hours would be structured were in any case vague. In France, the standard work week is 35 hours reduced from 39 in 2000. Okay, so what I find fascinating, at the very least, is I had no idea that 40 wasn't more universal. Yes. And for, I mean, yeah, most people, not most people, a lot of people work well over 40, though, right? So a lot of people work under 40. But like in France, the standard work week is 35. I find Mm. that interesting. And part of what I also find so intriguing, and I think I shared this 
study a couple of months ago where there's some guys from Ford Motor Company from my hometown of Detroit. They went to Japan to try to assess why why Japan was kicking their butts in so many different mm. uh, fields. And one of the things they found was um, when a great innovation or a great risk pays off, everyone gets the day off. They they uh, elevate and prioritize uh, rest and celebration. Mm. And I remember reading that thinking, that's so counterintuitive because, you know, to give people the rest of the day off, and so it feels like, we're losing productivity. That's exactly. time that could be used making yes. stuff. And they go, no, 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 no. When you actually incentivize innovation and risk taking in a way that is manifest often in like extra time with their family or time away without any sort of mm-hmm. uh, hit to their pay, people actually will give you more of themselves and they're more efficient with their time and they're more creative and they're more able to think out of yeah. the box. And I think, I think you're right. I think this is a, a tough, a, a difficult thing for us to really conceive of in the West, but mm-hmm. it feels like much of the world is, is showing us that maybe this is a better way forward. Now, I guess I'm going to get out over my skis here because I don't know necessarily – somebody might out there be like, uh, moron, there's an easy answer to that. But this <laughs> what, what seems difficult in our culture was like how do you government mandate a work week? Yeah, right. You know, this seems more of a challenge in our culture to bosses and to business yeah, owners right. you know, some – some people work, like you said, the expectation is 70 hours and they're compensated for it, but you, they can't go into their boss's office and be like, hey, you know, 35 hours now. Like, that's the one I'm interested in. Uh, really, what I think the, the takeaway for this is, is A, uh, what do you think is a productive work week as a worker? But also, if you're out there and you're a business owner, you manage people, would you ever have the guts to go, hey, let's try something outside the box and see if productivity actually does go up? What yeah, is the right. what is the cost? What is the benefit? Because I have a hard time picturing within our culture, like the government mandating X number of hours for a work week. Right. And, and I know we do it for you know, maternity leave, paternity leave, but this is different. This feels different. And so uh that's one reason I have a hard time picturing it. But yeah, we do live in a culture where it's like uh you know, there's there's a badge of honor for working a 90 hour work week and you're usually right. compensated really well for it and this and that. And and we talk about work life balance, but I'm not sure that we live it out very well. Well, and it is also worth saying that I think, you know, like we're in a pretty um, remarkable time where there's a lot of I mean, we call it the gig economy. Right. And so this like idea that, you know, for we have more and more people, it seems like today than ever before. Who aren't beholden to any sort of corporation, right. any kind of uh, necessarily any authority that kind of dictates their work week. Anyway, so that's a good point. There's probably a lot of people listening, like, well, that doesn't really apply to me at all. Um, but I think for those of us that it does, it is at the very least an interesting thought, particularly when it comes to rhythm and margins of rest and Sabbath. And is it possible that when we're better at those things, we're will actually be more productive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the things that we are called to do, which can so often be seen, I, I can be seen as counterintuitive. And uh, it's a discussion I would love to continue to have. I also read elsewhere, just real quick as we wrap up, the uh, the article has been updated to clarify the scope and timing of Marin's proposal, which was made in 2019 before she was prime minister. So that's worth oh, stating. Interesting. She did make this claim in this statement before she was prime minister. All right, coming up next, church planting and the idol of immediacy. Brian is a church planner, and so he's going to confess all of his sins and shortcomings in the next segment. <laughs> That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you want to, you can find us. We're all over the place. 
You got with keep, a different voice with each one of these Every today. time. This is kind of harkening back to when we first began, and That's I right. really, with a weird amount of effort, did a different voice every That's time right. or a different right. intro. I don't know that people mind. Sometimes when you listen to the podcast back, and like every nine minutes, you're like, oh, gosh, it's the same it's the same That's stick. That's true. I'm trying to switch it up a little bit. Right. I tend to get in my own head, though, and then <laughs> we end up having these conversations. <laughs> and I'm like, where are we? What are we doing again? So, uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. You can type in The Common Good Radio Show. you got to type in all of that in order to find us. Also, if you want to find our podcast, same thing. Um, and we're on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Plus, we think maybe you can tell Alexa and she'll uh, she'll find it for you. So here's an article, Brian, that you found. Uh, the Gospel Coalition, written by Adam Ramsey, uh, just a couple of days ago, and uh, I always find this discussion interesting because I feel like I spend so much time with church planners, mm-hmm. being a part of Community Christian Church, but I never actually have been a church planner. You, you have. Sometime. You think I should plan a church sometime? Be good. I think you would do well. Oof, I actually do. Am I getting too old for that? No. You don't think so? No. I. I think the. I actually think that, uh, and you're surrounded by people who'd be able to tell whether I'm actually right about this or not. But <laughs> That's true. It feels like one of the fallacies in church planting is that it's a it's a young person's game. No kidding. I think so. We're all young and stupid when we're in our That's true, but you have energy when you do young. have energy. I think you need to surround yourself with You need some to you need to recruit energy. Yeah, right? yeah. But huh. don't you think how many things have you done where you look back man, at twenty five, if I had only known this. Oh dude, I countless mean, I things. I planted our church at gosh, how old was I? Uh, 33 maybe. Okay. Uh, 32. Uh, and I'd been in ministry for a while. I still look back, oh man, if we could plant it now, uh-huh. what would I do? And part of that's experience. I've right. done it. But part of that's just. Do you think you'll feel that 10 years from now? I do. You'll just always be looking back going, man, 42 like Brian. Like, nope, I'm out. I feel- <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, right, they say that. Uh, what was that one study I read one time? That like the majority of mega church pastors in our country are in their 50s. No kidding. Like, I think we often think that it's like everyone's in like it's like this, and these these exist, but it's like these people in their young thirties who've blasted these churches and they're huge. Right, right, right. When in reality, a lot huh. of them has been just these guys, you know, these men or women in their fifties. Right. They've been at it for a while. Long obedience in the same yeah. direction, man. And so I think there is something to be said. But this article it focuses on church planting, but I actually just think it's true for a lot of us for a lot of things of life. Uh, so what's it, what's the title of it? Yeah, it is. Uh, let me scroll up there again. Church planting and the idol of immediacy, and that's what caught my attention. This phrase, the idol of immediacy. Can and you hurry up? By... Hurry up and get to it. <laughs> I'm only going to read half of it. So, uh, Eugene Peterson. He uses a Eugene Peterson quote. You just used a long obedience in the same direction by Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. Peterson said, I think the besetting sin of pastors, maybe especially evangelical pastors, is impatience. That's so Peterson is oh, so good. Is. He says, I have a confession that my wife can validate. I like to move fast, drive fast, think, decide, type, eat, walk quickly. Woe to those who <laughs> casually dawdle through airports who have the audacity uh-huh. to drive under the speed limit. He says, I love this line. Too often my prayer has been, Lord, give me patience now. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And he says, over the past years, though, I've been learning to slow down, to be attentive to the Spirit's pace in our church, hmm. to be still before the Lord. And then just listen to this one. He says, generally speaking, church planters in first world countries are about as patient as a four-year-old on a cross-country road trip. Are we there yet? How much longer comes the voice from the back seat uh, of our heart? That's good. Uh, and how often do we do that just in general, man? Like, 
uh, I know with our church, it was like, why are we not 500 people right now? We've yeah. been at it for three weeks. Right. Uh, but we do it with, uh, you know, uh, why isn't that person uh, over their sin already? Why aren't hmm. we, uh, why haven't I made my money? Whatever, whatever it might be. Why isn't my marriage perfect yet? <laughs> like all these things. And it, again, it goes back to that phrase you used, a long obedience in the same direction, hmm. that, uh, that that sanctification and growth is this slow lifetime thing. And he says the kind of leaders who burn themselves out, burn their manages, marriages up, yeah. and burn their ministries to the ground are the impatient ones. Hmm. This is a difficult one, but man, it's it, there is so much wisdom. Well, and if anyone is currently listening to the podcast at twice the speed right now... Um, <laughs> No, I got to give props. That was Brian's joke. He made that joke. Before oh, but live. you delivered it. Yeah, but I wanted I wanted people to know. I didn't think of that. That's that's all you. I do think you're right, though. I think um, the article is written to the perspective or from the perspective of church planners. But I mean, gosh, honestly, I, I've been so impatient that I've even like yelled at a red light for <laughs> <Yes>. not changing <laughs> fast enough. Like the other day, it might have even been yesterday, I had to microwave a bowl of cereal <laughs> twice. No, bowl of cereal, bowl of soup. Yes. Microwave a bowl of soup twice. And I was like, come on, what is going on yeah. right now? It's so funny you say that because I got home from doing the show last night and my wife was out, but she had made an awesome dinner. And so I had to put it back in the oven and I put it in and I was like, surely it's done. I pulled it out, not done, <laughs> put it back in. And I'm just standing there and I pulled it in and out of that oven like three or four times before it was finally done. And you're yep. like, what's my problem? And it's, it, I think we just generally live in a culture. It's not a pastor thing. It's not a church planting thing. Right. It's a cultural thing. Where we are just so impatient, like we need it and we need it now. And and you know what? We've got these little phones in our hands where we can see everything uh-huh. now that it's just getting worse. And so it's like, man, what is going on? And, and, and the question becomes, what are the effects that this kind of lifestyle has upon us and how do we fight against it is really what we got to wrestle with. Well, and I, and I think we've talked about this a couple of times. John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, mm-hmm. which is a quote from Dallas Willard uh, based on a conversation that he and John Orberg had. It's a conversation that I think is really fascinating. It's another book I've referenced a couple months ago about um, the three-mile-an-hour God. There's a, a Japanese theologian who somehow calculated that the average speed of Jesus' ministry was about three miles an hour. That's like, awesome open to like being unhurried and being, and I like what he says in this article. Um, He says, there's certainly nothing wrong with the large and growing church, but shouldn't we be a little cautious of the very things Satan used to tempt Jesus on the front end of his public ministry? Here's how he outlined it. First was the hurry of immediate gratification. Turn these stones into bread, Matthew 4, 3. Second, the temptation to prove himself with a spectacular display. If you're really the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself off the temple and have the angels catch you, Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Finally, Satan baited his hook with global glory and power, Matthew 4, 8, and 9. Each of these temptations, immediacy, legitimacy, and glory, have to do with timing. Eventually, Jesus' fasting would end, his identity as the Messiah would be vindicated, and the glory of earth's kingdoms would uh, belong to him. But not yet. And in the not yet, Jesus patiently trusts the Father's timing. Not once Ooh. in the Gospels do we see him in a hurry. So why are we? There you go. That will, I, I appreciate that perspective so much because it's a way of looking at a story that a lot of us are maybe familiar with but struggle to see how it applies. Like, well, I've never been led into the desert to fast by the Holy Spirit after I was baptized by John. Like, we often, we often don't see our our own selves in the application of these stories. I think therefore that's part of why we struggle so much. Yeah. Listen to this quote, slowing ministry pace 
And it doesn't need to just be ministry. It could be anything, but just the context of this article is ministry. It says slowing ministry pace in order to increase ministry longevity is a step forward, not backward in fruitfulness. Oh, and interesting. That's, that's really hard. Like slowing down, you that's think you're, everyone else is going to pass you by. Right. And we're going to do this. And we, you and I keep quoting a slow obedience in the same direction. And it's just such a hard rule of life. It's a hard way to live. Right. And uh, I think he makes some really, really good points about the need for patience uh, and pace, which that will give you longevity. And the other, rather than being one of these men and women who just burn out. Right. What, what was the phrase that Rick had told us? No, no, no I just now Rick. Rick. <laughs> uh, Pastor Rick Warren in the interview, he said, um, Mentors should be living, but your model should be dead. That was so He's good. like, you don't know how their race is going to end. And part of what um, I think Adam is pretty beautifully uh, challenging us to here is um, what if we were like less obsessed with sort of the explosive dramatic start, right? Like in church planning in particular and focus more on like what, what if we actually gave attention to the kind of leadership habits that produce a faithful finish, right? Yes. Like, like honesty and transparency and faithfulness and courage. Like those are the kinds of things that – Take time, you know, to be cultivated. I think uh, this is a good find, Brian. Well done. Thank you. All right. So coming up next, uh, what your faith has to say about whether or not you like cats or dogs. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. How are you? Good to see you. Or hear you. I'm not doing any of that. Welcome back to The Common Good. <laughs> <laughs> that was not an intro that worked. Some of them... Well, work that that was not one of them. Yeah. Uh, we're just gonna go back, and we're gonna we're gonna workshop that one a little bit more. I don't think that one needs to be workshopped. That one <laughs> needs to be given a good Christian burial. <laughs> we need to lay that one to rest. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find us if you want on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. The Common Good Radio Show. It's that nice little green image with our smiling photoshopped faces on there. If you are a podcast person, uh, there are a couple of things you could do that really help us out. You can like, subscribe, and review, even just a like a thumbs up review. You could even just go, these guys are okay. Any of that, actually. <laughs> I heard them once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, don't even give a ranking. Just, yep, they are people. They have a show. Just You could be as bland and benign as you want, but any of that activity does help us out a lot. And if you wouldn't mind hitting that share button and share it with a friend, a coworker, a stranger, or an enemy – all of that uh, is just fine by me. I don't know. Has anyone given you feedback in particular on like what it's like, what the difference for them between radio and podcast? Uh, like why they enjoy one over the other? Yeah, or what the difference so, is for them if they've done both? Uh, so I have had some podcasters say they appreciate. Am I allowed to say this? Like the lack of commercials? I don't think you're supposed to say that at all. I like the commercials though. But, okay, you're still. We're gonna workshop that. <laughs> I must have just got myself Jeez. in trouble. <laughs> Are you distracted? Are you doing something else? No, right I'm now? not. I'm not. My goodness. Um, all right. So, but also the podcast you can listen to it fast. You can. <laughs> Let's do it quickly at double speed. These are two not very good endorsements. What do you hear? What do you hear? Why? why do I don't hear anything. Is what I'm going to say. I don't. I don't feel like I want to delve into this topic <laughs> at all now. Um, the all producer right. is just, he's just going to add some uh, white noise over top of this, and there we go. I was pretty glad though that we found a photo of you in the hallway as well at AM 1160. It's not nearly as good as yours. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> People that aren't on the Facebook page are like, what is happening right it is, now? It is reason enough to join the Facebook page to see the picture. Uh, or some might be saying reason enough to avoid it altogether. That, but that Ian has that, – that he now graces the hallway here at 1160. I don't, I don't like yep. where this is going. I did want to say this though. Somebody the other day had been asking me, how do I uh, either give feedback – or make suggestions for articles I think you should do. I said, all of that is perfect on the Facebook page. If you come across an article or a story, or honestly, even just a topic that you would love for us to go after, head on over to the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, send us a little message or something, and uh, we would be happy to consider a story, an article, a topic, um, because in general, we really want this to serve all of you. Mm -hmm. So um, any feedback that you give, I think, would be incredibly helpful and appreciated. All right, so here was the tease. Uh, apparently, one study is asserting that your faith plays a large factor in whether you like cats or dogs. Before we go any further, yes. Brian, I think I know the answer to this. Are you a dog person or a cat person? I'm a dog person. I grew up with cats, so I'm not an anti-cat guy. Oh, you're not. Um, but but I would choose a dog now a hundred times out of a hundred. Okay. So I love my dog. We've had this. We're on our second dog now. So nice. yes, I'm very much a dog person. What about you? I like them both. Hmm. It's going to say something about you in this article. I well, that's a, <laughs> you might be hearing this right now thinking like, wow, this is some really hard hitting news guys. Wait, <laughs> thanks for bringing this really urgent you can't information, <laughs> but it, it's a pretty, um, it's a really robust study. Actually. It I'm, is. It's not I'm a small reading, one. I'm reading a little further. I really didn't realize. So I'm going to kind of let the cat out of the bag. Ha ha. Ah. And uh, so here's the actual headline. Atheists prefer cats. Christians love dogs. Studies show. So, Good news, Brian. You're you go. uh, in the safe. I'm a I'm Christ per- follower. I'm I'm in shaky territory. You're, you're a doubting Christian, apparently. <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm just. Uh... Nah, I don't know where to go with that. Um, all right, so here's how it begins. I do not and will not ever own a cat. Instead, I own a dog. In fact, as I type this, Lucy, my seven pound Yorkshire Terrier, is snoring next to me on my office chair. Why do I prefer dogs to cats? It could be because, along with being a social scientist, I am an American Baptist pastor, and like many other Christians in the United States. I am more likely to own a dog than a cat. My friends who skip church, however, prefer cats. At least that's what the data indicates. And there's a whole long that you can look. Uh, it's on the Facebook page if you want to read it yourself. In a new article published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, Samuel Perry and I took advantage of several new questions added to the general social survey about pet ownership to look at the relationship between religion and man's best friend. First, some general results from the data. Among Americans who said they own a pet, nearly three-quarters, 74.9%, said they had a dog in 2018. Fewer than half, 40.3, identified as cat owners. The average American pet-owning household has 1.72 animals, which also includes reptiles, fish, pigs, goats, birds, horses, and small mammals. Does any of that surprise you? Is that higher or lower? I mean, I'm in, I don't want to see the 0.72 animal going around. Yeah, I knew, I knew that joke was coming. <laughs> you were shaking in your chair to make that joke, and uh, I'll I, allow it. It doesn't surprise me. 75% of people uh, having dogs, I think, is uh, – that's interesting uh, – of pet owners having dogs. While so few being cats, I, I don't think that's surprising. It's kind of when I think about my friends and families I know, it kind of fits that way. So no, uh, interesting that more pe- most people uh, who own pets own more than one. Uh, sure. I found that interesting. But yeah, how about you? N- nope. Uh, article goes on. Goats. Evangelical mainline who Protestants. Has goats, the re- by the way, the what? Who has goats? I mean, people have goats, Brian. Okay. 
Okay. Evangelical mainline Protestants, the religiously unaffiliated, and members of what the GSS call other faiths, religious people who are not Christian or Jewish, have the most pets at nearly two per family. Catholic households, on average, have one and a half pets, while Jews, 0.95 pets, and black Protestants, 0.72 pets, average just under one pet each. What about type of animal owned by religious tradition? Religious tradition. Dogs are the most popular household pet. In fact, there's no religious tradition in which fewer than half of adherents own a dog. So, like, dogs are the great— Dogs always win. They're the great ecumenical pet. <laughs> they, they're the bridge they building. The they're the key to world peace. However, there are some interesting differences among faith groups. Evangelicals and Catholics are more likely to have dogs than our mainline Christians. Mainliners are more likely than evangelicals and black Protestants to own cats. Jews prefer dogs to cats. Jewish families— are also more likely than other traditions to own a small mammal or a bird. Those who claim no religious identity are most likely to have a cat. I find that weirdly interesting. All fascinating. But I don't know what to do with any Nothing. of it. Nothing. I don't think there's anything to be done. Like, I think people probably take these sorts of studies and start parsing them. And in fact, they uh, the, one of the more interesting things comes later where they say uh, that the people who go to church less have more have more pets. And then they try to give reasons, or more likely, pets. They give reasons for it. So it's all. I just find this really funny and fascinating. Yeah. Um, maybe there's something deeper to it, but I don't think so. I'm also fascinated by the studies that get run. Like this is a really in-depth study. Yeah, and and it does leave you going, okay, that's funny. That's great. Well, that's there's great. another piece that says, well, not conclusive. It appears that uh, the more someone goes to church or other religious worship service, the less likely they are to own a pet. Mm-hmm. They ask, why is this the case? We suggest two possible reasons. One is practical. People who are highly involved in activities at church or other uh, houses of worship may not have the time to take care of a lot of animals in their home. That makes sense. A second possibility is that people may be using pets as a replacement for social interaction. Therefore, Mm. people who are frequently attending church events don't need to fill social voids with pets nearly as much. Uh, Again, you can file this under stories I never thought we'd be doing. No, I know. This Uh, is one of them. But it is pretty fascinating to me. And I again, I feel perfectly fine. Um, liking both cats and dogs at this point in the study. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not anti-cat. We were at a friend's house the other day and a cat came up next to me and, and I enjoyed it. Now, I'll never own a cat because my wife is uh, allergic to cats. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pro, I'm more pro-dog, but I'm pro-dog and cat. I'm okay with them both. <laughs> I'm more pro-dog, but I'm pro-dog. I, if a cat's listening right now, he doesn't believe you. <laughs> He's not buying any of that. But they don't care because they're cats. That's true. That is sort of their greatest feature and their greatest weakness. Have you ever heard the saying that says, uh, I read this the other day, I might have told you this, that a dog gets you ready for a baby and a cat gets you ready for a teenager? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. I like that a lot. All right, so coming up next, here's a headline to end all headlines. How to mind your own business when everyone's sharing theirs. This is a Brian Fromm story just to get that out of the way. (laughs) That's what's coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop 
uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. Thanks for sticking around. I'm not supposed to say that, but I'm saying it right now because we're grateful. Anyway, if you want to find us on Facebook, you can do that. Find us at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good wherever it is you get your podcasts and uh one of the things that you perhaps have noticed about this show and it's become pretty clear especially when we post an article to the facebook page before we talk about it because sometimes we'll post something and we'll just say hey what do you think and sometimes the comments uh at at least seem to imply that people think we agree with the author Mm -hmm. which oftentimes we do not i'm not necessarily saying that's true for this next Sometimes we don't agree with each other. That's true. We don't agree with the author. Sometimes we don't agree with anybody. (laughs) But it is funny how often, like, we'll we'll share something and just say thoughts. And sometimes it's like, how could you ever agree with this? I thought you were a pastor. We don't agree with this. (laughs) We're going to talk about it. We find it interesting. So, again, this is another one of those stories that I I just think uh, is interesting. And uh, I think this is one that you found. Is that right? Yes. So it's out of the Gospel Coalition. It says, how to mind your own business when everyone's sharing theirs. What's going on? So it's, it's again, and we cover this a lot, mostly because I think we both feel in our own lives, but also in the people we know that social media and this connectiveness of our world uh, is a big issue and it's going to be an increasing issue. And, and so the, the real premise of this article, the, the, po- the point of it is uh, how do we focus on the things that, you know, mind our own business when everyone else, in, instead of getting lost in everybody else posts, everybody else's life and the author kind of starts by saying one of the things that really um, he's begun to notice in his life is how bothered he gets, you know, by reading something about somebody that he shouldn't really care about, like yeah. uh, where does it really affect his life? He says, I've reached the point where when my wife is looking at her phone and says, oh, no, I tell her I don't want to know. I envy my Luddite friends. And when I hear that yet another teen girl has committed suicide because uh, she couldn't take the online bullying, I wonder if I'm somehow complicit. So that's where it gets kind of kind of deeper. He says, I'm just as much a part as you are of our vast experiment in whether a society so dedicated to its phones can long endure. I'm keeping my salt and light such as it is on social media, and I'm searching for help uh, getting beams out of my eye. I want to post to the glory of God. And then he goes on to talk about how even Paul's given us some, uh, some helpful hints. But he goes on to say later on, he says, social media tempts me to ignore the people that I can actually benefit and focus instead on opining louder or faster than the next guy. Hmm. And it's it's this concept of there being so much noise out there that there's so much noise right. that that what do we even try to cut through it and prioritize what's important and what's not? And he's basically uh, suggesting that that part of the struggle for all of us is increasingly going to be uh, to focus on the important people in our lives, the important things, the things we can help with or do something or that can benefit. 
you know, help us grow or whatever else and kind of not ignore the other things, but kind of uh, treat them with less priority and, and less um, value in our life. And that's really difficult. You know, I like how uh, how he begins the article. Who? What is the name of the guy? That Mark Ward. So he references a college humor video. I don't know if you've seen this video. Um, college humor, while often very blue, does a good job of kind of satirizing a lot of sort of common culture tropes and shortcomings. And so the the whole uh, setup, the whole context is everyone's at a party, and this guy <laughs> like storms in to declare that he's leaving this lame party to go to a different party and the whole kind of the whole shtick is about um, kind of poking fun at people that make posts on social media to let everyone know that they're not going to be on social media. Yep. And I was just having a conversation about this yesterday with somebody and he's like, just don't be on social media. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, which again, that could go either way. Cause I think for some people, you know, if you don't say something, people might be worried or they might be concerned, sure. you know, about where did this person go? So I'm not totally even sold on that. But the the general sense, though, that like we need to be in everyone's business all the time, um, I do think it's pretty interesting. When he referenced here, this is where I want to get into. He says, I think Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, gives us divine guidance for a social media age. That sentence alone might surprise some people because mm-hmm. often people will read the Bible and go, "Well, there was no smartphones or internet, so what yep. could this possibly yep. what could this possibly have <clears throat> to impact my uh, modern day life?" So, the first he says, "Not busy." Um, but busy bodies. Two of his statements help us. This is First Thessalonians 4.11. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And then Second Thessalonians 3.11. We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Mm. I don't know which of my fellow Christians are walking in idleness. What I do know is the supreme power that technology provides unique in the history of the world to make me a busybody, which is most certainly through. True. Mm-hmm. So busybodies comes from the Greek word biz, meaning not ours or none of ours, and bodies meaning beeswax. I work, I, I work at Logos. <laughs> don't question my dictionary skills. Busybodies are people who go around meddling and prying into affairs that don't concern them, people who elect themselves overseers of things not theirs. Um, mm. Now, I don't, I don't know that necessarily anyone would identify as someone who does that intentionally. I think so yeah. often we accidentally fall into this sort of like social media policing and I'm constantly commenting on somebody else's fake news or that meme's not right. Or And on one hand, and we've talked about this, maybe we have a responsibility to say, hey, what you posted there is totally false. Mm-hmm. That's actually really hurtful and divisive. But I'm wondering, do you think that that can sometimes swing too far where, okay, now, now we're commenting on Everyone's yep. post all the time, weighing in, giving our opinion, usually dissenting. Yeah. Um, do you think that the pendulum can sometimes swing too far the other way? I think, man, we only have so much time in our day, right? And not even time, but like so much uh, mental capacity and focus in our day. And uh, when, when so much of my energy and time and thoughts are put into, like you just said, commenting on this, commenting on that, things that in the in the long run aren't really that important – uh, and they take up our emotional energy. That's being taken from somewhere else. Then, right? It might be my job, you know, my work. Uh, it might be my family, my kids, um, and it just it just becomes kind of uh, you know social media. I, I do think just becomes kind of an addiction for yeah. us, and it, it becomes a crutch, if you will. Right? I will. Uh, I will. I, I am going to. You said you don't like when people post about it. I didn't post about it, but for. Uh, I'm I didn't the, say I didn't like it. I'm in the midst of 10 days of no social media. So I – You are so holy, Brian. I, uh, I took it off my phone. And this is what I want to tell you. It's weird, man. Like I took it off my phone. Yeah. 
And what I've come to realize is the number of times where it was like second nature to kind of. Yeah, right. It's not like I was like, man, I really want to see what's going on on Twitter. It was, I don't know what's going on. I'm not really doing anything right now, so I'm going to hit Twitter. And all of a sudden you're like, it's like this Pavlov's dog thing, right? Like sit down, press Twitter, sit down, Mm. press Facebook. And it's really been somewhat, not just eye-opening, but if I'm honest, a little disheartening. Yeah. How much like I'm like, oh, wait, no, the app's not on my phone anymore. Right. Oh, and and like, but like like that's not front of mind. And so- it, it's been really helpful for me uh, in this very short term. It's been a couple days. Right. But, you know, I'm not a big poster. I don't do a ton on it, but just, um, just, uh, and I, there are certain things about it that I've missed. Uh, my, my daughter just got her driver's license and I'm like, Oh, I want to post about, Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, and so it, it's just interesting. I think, the much bigger picture is I think our relationships for many of us with social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, is more complex than we give it credit for. Yeah. It takes up more of our emotions, more of our time and energy. Uh, it causes us to check out of some important things. And uh, I appreciate what Mark Ward is saying here about, you know what, like like start thinking it through. At the very least, think through your social media consumption and what effect it's having on you, and and we'll all be better off for that. I like what uh, so he goes on to say. Paul does give more than a bare command, as we saw above. He offers an alternative: aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Gordon Fee suggests that Paul's wording is instructively um, oxymoronic. Mm-hmm. NIV and NASB uh, read intentionally: make it your ambition to live quietly. Social media is full of people whose ambition is to live louder and bigger mm. and to be more influential. The platform isn't set up for those who aspire to the lowest seat at the feast. Because of uh, inspired instructions like Paul's, it has to be okay for some Christians to just stay off of social media. So when he goes on to talk about how do we actually live this out, I think it, you're right. It requires a really intentional shift in mindset. He goes on to say, social media tempts me to ignore the people I uh, I can actually benefit and focus instead on opinion, uh, on opinion. Wow. What am I saying? On uh, opining. Opining. I'm no longer looking at the article. So I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing it's on opining, opining louder or faster than the next guy. Yeah. So this idea when we incentivize, you know, he who shouts yeah. loudest or quickest, which, which is, is sort of, media. that's right out. That's exactly how it works. And I think um, your experiment alone of like stepping back and saying, all right, I still have these impulses and these instincts to constantly share, yeah. but to just take it off your phone altogether, I think is uh, is really wise. Yeah, and it's hard. Like the fact that it's hard is really convicting. Yeah, Because it right. seems like, what's Facebook? What does that matter? And then you're like, but you realize just the, the, the part of your rhythm that it is, and it's really strange. Totally agree. All right, well, coming up next, here's the headline. You're not going to want to miss this. Top three reasons people reject Christianity. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I apparently cannot say the word opining because I did not know of it until right now. So you learned something today. Learning something yeah. new. I don't know what it means, actually. I should have looked it up. Opining, it means like I'm talking about or I'm kind of – I'm giving my opinion on. Oh. I'm going to opine about the state of this show right now. It says like, to hold and state as one's opinion. Hey, I got it. You did. Yeah. <laughs> I opine that I knew what that means. I love the genuine joy in your face. Like, holy cow, that was correct. Well, do you know what? Why? Because I got halfway through de- defining it for you going, I'm not sure I know. I'm going to get this wrong. Yeah. When we- I first started by just saying, it's, you know, it's giving you a <laughs> I'm like, no, wait, no, it's your opinion. 
So opine opinion. Yes. I wish people knew how often that is the case for this show. Where we get halfway through something and you and I are like, uh, oh, uh, I don't know what I think about this. Yep. And I am paid to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Which some people are like, yeah, it's really obvious when you do that. There's probably certain shows that people go back or like, and here is where you lost your train of thought. There is that moment? And here is where your computer went black accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, just you you're just show today? <laughs> you're just like trying to randomly recall like what you were talking about. You regularly about. have those moments when you <laughs> preach where you're where you're preaching, and then you almost have like this out of body experience where you're kind of like looking at yourself yes. and like having. Having like this other conversation. It's I think every time I fe- preach, it's I think it's every time feeling uh-huh. like it's almost unexplainable to people like everyone who preaches or speaks for any reason. They are like, oh, right. I get what you're saying, but it really makes no sense. Right. But it happens all the time. What is also weird about it, though, is it's uh, like intrigue. You're like, huh, yep. this is interesting. Filled with fear. Like, <laughs> hey, idiot, there's still a room full of people. You have to keep talking. <laughs> Why are you having this <laughs> inner monologue right now? The worst one for me ever was. I remember I'm in the middle of preaching, and I had this thought to, while I'm preaching going, I'm kind of bored by this. <laughs> what must they be thinking? Oh, right that's now? convicting, man. It was. I remember thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, not the best. Like, you're just going, you're like, well, I'm halfway in now. I got to keep going. So. That's funny. I had a lady come up to me a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I just wanted to tell you that um, this is the first time that my 16 year old has really been like engaged in church. I said, that's funny because I really do intentionally write. From like the perspective of sixteen-year-old Ian, because I like That's didn't awesome. I didn't love church growing up. I didn't like hate it, but I just felt yeah. to, you know sort of unengaging, I guess, to yeah. my sixteen-year-old sensibilities. I was like, okay, what would make a sixteen-year-old totally lose track in all this? How do I how do I try to keep them engaged in some degree? That's interesting. That's not my whole methodology, but that's uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's working for you. Thanks, man. All right, so uh, I talked about this a little earlier. This is from the Christian Post. Top three reasons people reject Christianity. I should have asked you to guess before reading it. That would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. Well, I actually think I would have guessed the same three. These three would have been in the short list of ones I would have. Like if you said give a, a list, I might not have – I might have added some different ones. But these three I think are biggies. Really? And yeah, so I think I would have gone. I would have gone with some with these. I think. Well, why don't you tell us about these three biggies? Yeah, this author, and this isn't out of a study. So we, you know, it would be really interesting to get feedback. Maybe you think there's ones that are bigger than this. Maybe there's. Maybe you've walked away from your faith, and yeah, here's right, right. some of the reasons you've rejected Christianity. Uh, but this author uh, says, in my experience, there are three top stumbling blocks or turnoffs of Christianity that I see surface time after time with both non Christians and believers who struggle. With their faith, although there are certainly other issues that crop up, here are the ones from least to most problematic. I might argue with some of these, but that's okay. That <laughs> I've seen over and over again. So, number one that this author gives is unanswered prayer. Near the end of the movie "God's Not Dead," she writes, "The atheist college professor who was attacked and ridiculed his Christian students' faith throughout the film admits that it was his mother's death from an illness and his unanswered prayers for her healing when he was young that drove him." To atheism, I think this is a really convicting one because, right, we talked about it, uh, was it yesterday when we were talking about the story out of Bethel Mm -hmm. uh, with the worship leader and, uh, oh, and Tony Evans' uh, son speaking at his mom's funeral. Right. Uh, What do we do? What's our perspective on prayer that allows us to be able to still trust God and say that he's good when the specific thing we've prayed for doesn't come to pass? So it goes on to say, uh, when Scripture speaks about nothing missing God's attention, Matthew 10, 29, 
says that he rapidly brings about justice for those he loves, Luke 18, and claims that nothing can prevent him from doing what he pleases, Job 42. Unbelievers and Christians alike sometimes wrestle with uh, existentially putting the puzzle pieces together of the difficult and painful things that they've lifted to God in prayer and the seeming silence they receive from heaven. I'll just go ahead and say I felt that. Absolutely. I've definitely felt the, like, God, what we're praying for is not a bad thing. We're it's not like I'm for like, a good thing. You'd be glorified right. by it. You'd be glorified. Like that. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that I think is probably the subset of it. Yeah. It's sort of a, uh, yes, number one, I want this. Number two, I don't understand why you wouldn't want exactly. this, God. Like that I think is where a lot of people get really frustrated. So the first one, okay, if you're just joining us, top three reasons people reject Christianity. The first uh, was unanswered prayers. Number two, the heading reads, something wicked this way comes. What do Charles Darwin, Ted Turner, and Bart Ehrman have in common, although in different work professions, they uh, they all have very strong intellects and all admit that the reason they either reject God entirely or are agnostic about his existence is because they can't square the evil they've experienced in their own lives or seen play out on the world stage and uh, in the idea of a supreme deity, which is, again, a conversation I imagine you and I have both had a lot. Yes. Like, hey, it's not necessarily my unanswered prayer, but I turn on the news and it's just sort of a how. How on earth could be? Have you faced those types of Actually, questions? and not only that, but it feels, maybe we just hear about it more now, but it feels like it's getting worse, hmm. right? Things are going, and some of it's personal, right? Turner, it says, it was watching his young sister die. For Darwin, it was the death of his young daughter. For Ehrman, for Ehrman it's the general problem of theodicy. Hmm. Uh, and so the problem of reconciling an all-powerful good God with the evil and tragedies that occur in life have caused endless discussions between believers and non-believers. Uh, when evil touches them, people sometimes begin to question God's existence and begin to believe the atheist option offered by Richard Dawkins for why evil exists when he said, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason for it, nor any justice. Mm. And so it sounds like Dawkins. It does. It does. <laughs> but part of me, I think one of the reasons this, this list is helpful, because if you're sitting there going, nope, these are not struggles for me at all. I struggle with that too. Like, yeah. I think even those of us who have, you know, we're totally like we're in this faith. We believe in Jesus. These are hard ones. Yeah. These are hard ones. The third one is this, uh, professing Christians. Only 30% of adults in the United States have a positive perception of evangelicals, Barna Group research indicates. Such data appears, appears in line with Gandhi's famous statement where he declared that he liked Christ but not Christians because their actions don't mirror those of Jesus. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias says that of all the thousands of questions put to him challenging Christianity, the one question that has bothered him the most was asked by a Hindu friend when they asked, if this conversion you speak about is truly supernatural, then why is it not more evident in the lives of so many Christians that I know? Wow. In other words, a God who is said to transform should produce people with transformed Lives. That's a powerful way to put it right there. Like that question that that, that the person put towards Zachariah, towards Ravi Zacharias, I think is one that uh, that is up there for a lot of people. How would you answer that question then? Oh, yeah, I would I would acknowledge that it frustrates me, too. Right. Like uh, that. I understand that that the church always isn't a good representation of their savior, uh, but that our faith is built on undeserved grace. And so oftentimes uh, the. Uh, the shortcomings of the church even point to the graciousness of God, not not take away from it. And I would point to, uh, I know uh, I could point to lots of instances of transformation. Uh, I use the phrase again, a long obedience in the same direction over time. Sure. Uh, where 
Uh, and the Christian Post goes on to write here, right? Make no mistake, we're not talking so much about the Christian church as a whole. Um, try as some do to rewrite history. The evidence is countless that Christians do a lot of stuff. No, instead, what puts a bad taste in people's mouth is the individualistic actions of people. Right. Like the televangelist and all of that. I think we need to own it, though. I don't think we can be like, no way, Christians are better than everybody. We all see it. But it right. should convict us as Christ followers that our witness makes a huge impact on people who may or may not be considering the faith. Well, let me, I want to read a little more here because I think, uh, and again, we don't have time to read the rest of it. Yep. So I encourage you to go to the Facebook page, but he says, in the face of these three obstacles to Christianity, I'd like to offer something for consideration that I haven't seen anyone else bring up where these issues are concerned. Part of the problem with each issue is that they appear to exist in a contradictory manner with what the Bible seems to teach. In essence, people see an existential mismatch between the Bible and life as we experience it, but such thinking is actually incorrect. Stop for a minute and consider. In the Bible, sometimes the good brother is killed by the bad, Genesis 4. Famines occur, Genesis 41. Beloved wives like Rachel die in childbirth, Genesis 35. Nations are conquered by countries more evil than themselves. Livelihoods, families, and good health are destroyed by the enemy. Uh, a man who God says is the greatest to ever live is unjustly murdered, imprisoned by an evil woman. Righteous men's truthful sermons are rejected by a culture that even goes so far as to kill them. Mm. Some prayers lifted up uh, to spare the life of great Christians are granted, while others are not. And let's not forget the episode of how an innocent, sinless man's prayer to avoid death seems ignored in Matthew 26, and he ends up being traded for a known murderer in Matthew 27, and then is crucified. Again, mm. his whole point is the Bible does a a pretty fascinating job of showing like the full spectrum of experiences and that at times things, it's kind of what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. Ecclesiastes is like the book for the person that played by all the rules and still got screwed. Mm. And I think uh, at the very least you and I as pastors, but certainly as Christ followers to lean in and say the stuff that you've said about, man, I, yeah, I feel the pain in that, but to also encourage people like really dive into what does it mean that scripture also tends to highlight and illustrate some of these stories. He ends by saying, Tough sledding sometimes, you bet. The key to overcoming these things uh, and more is fixing our eyes on Christ who endured the big three issues of Christianity in his life and pressing on through them when they happen to us with hope and trust in a God who is bigger than all of them. I really, really love really the good. way they end that. Well, coming up next, a post that I saw on Facebook is a guy kind of explaining a concept that he learned from Brene Brown about how to come home uh, at the end of each workday, I think it's really fascinating. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I actually think that's not grammatically correct. Along with? Yeah. Really? It, it makes it sound like I could either be Ian Simpkins or Brian Fromm. I mean, Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Somebody linguistically was challenging me on that. Recently. Really? Yeah. Oh, fascinating. It sounds perfectly legit to me, but I'm also not a linguist. You've it? also heard me say it for a full year now, too, right? That's uh, I don't think I could change it now if I wanted to. Uh, we should do a whole segment with a linguist just telling us everything we do wrong. <laughs> oh, just give them like a, like a foghorn. Uh, they're going to stay over for a second segment, <laughs> a third segment. Here we go. Just correcting our grammar in real time. That'd be terrifying. <laughs> uh, all right. You can go to Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash Common Good on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And we are also podcasted for your convenience. And uh, I found this Facebook post. You know, sometimes we do like long form articles. Sometimes we'll play clips from the news. Sometimes I just see stuff on Facebook or Twitter that I think, oh, that's pretty interesting. So it's a guy named Benjamin Holmgren. And uh, Brian, as he mentioned, is off of social media. 
I could have just copy and pasted the text for you. Facebook is for me the devil's playground. For oh these next yeah, I think Zuckerberg <laughs> probably agrees. Uh, here's what he said. I'll read it and then I'll get your reaction. So everyone knows you haven't seen it yet. So uh, years ago, I learned something from Brene Brown that I still use every single day. When you get home to your spouse, kids, dog, etc., before you open your door, put a smile on your face. It doesn't matter how your day went or what you're doing next or if you're starving. For 30 seconds, at least pretend that you're elated to see them. Make them feel like you are looking forward to getting back home. After all, they're your favorite people in wow. the whole world, I hope. Now, I know what you're thinking. That seems like a cheesy, tiny thing, man. Hardly an earth-shattering revelation. But your hashtag attitude sets the tone for the rest of the evening with fifteen seconds within 15 seconds of walking in the door. So really, it's not tiny at all. It's a huge deal because you come home every day and the things you do every day grind on you. Jordan Peterson says, if you can fix 25 little things like coming home, you will have an extraordinary life. Taking your family to Disneyland is insignificant. Your kid's expensive birthday party will be forgotten within weeks. Coming home, that's your whole life. Fix it. Start today. That's really powerful. What do you think? I think it's great. And yeah, when you first hear it, you're like, that's cheesy. Like, yeah, right. Exactly like, like he says. Oh, right. I'm going to just fix. But there's this. I'm going to put on a uh, a specific attitude. I'm going to take. And I like that he says, like, take 30 seconds. Like kind of this pause. Right. That says, okay, I'm going to, uh, no matter what my day was like, I'm about to walk into uh, the most important people in my life. Right. And I'm going to have an impact. I remember Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in Texas. Uh, when his kids were young, he used to talk about kind of a similar thing. I remember him. I remember hearing him talk about this and it just being really convicting him saying every day he gets, he pulls into the driveway and he prays hmm. uh, and he takes some time to like decompress from whatever he went on. Yeah. And then he prays, Lord, help me like just engage in whatever has been going on in this house right now. And, and hmm. then his kids were the age then where it was like, he used to joke about going into a war zone. Like his life <laughs> right. was just wide eyed. <laughs> but he, his point was we can get away and be like, my day was harder than yours and this. And just yeah, yeah. he's like, nope, I'm going in. And whatever mm. happened, I'm going in to be not just to help, but to love my kids. And that's right. kind of what this is. Yep. And I like the concept of a smile and just or energy or like I'm going to go in because especially when the kids are your kids age. Yeah. You don't know what your wife's been through. Like right. being home with two little kids is really, really sick hard. right now. Oh. And, yeah, all of it. It's really, really hard. And so it's not going to do your wife any good if you walk in and you're like, wait till I tell you about my day. Yeah. Your day. Like she's going to want to hear about your day at some <laughs> right, point. Right. But I doubt if you come running in grumpy and like be another, that's not going to be helpful. And so going in and plus, uh, there's that old saying, fake it till you make it. But hopefully you're excited to see your kids anyway. Yeah. Excited right. to see your wife. But I like this. It's kind of like, Force it upon yourself, regardless of what's gone on. I think it's really helpful. And it gets much deeper in that post when he's like, how you interact with your children is what they're going to remember more than this trip or this party or this gift. That right. has greater ramifications beyond how I walk into the house each day, but you know how I put them to bed, how I interact with them. But, right. uh, but certainly it speaks to this. Like Your kids are going to remember, man, when dad came home, it was a really joyful thing. Yeah, I loved right, it when mom right. came home, when dad came yes, home. Right. And uh, so a small thing, I think it's a powerful statement. Small things make uh, make memories, and, and, and they're important. Well, and the conversation of formation, too, and we've talked about this a couple of times, it actually really predominantly is the small choices, the small decisions we make that actually end up forming us into the people that we're becoming. Mm -hmm. And that isn't very glamorous. We mm -hmm. talk about... You know, living in a microwave culture where we want instant results, we want instant gratification, we want to be better right now. 
And a lot of times we struggle to make the small incremental steps because they seem insignificant or they seem like they're not, you know, we were talking earlier in the show that it's not happening fast enough, right. but making the decision. And, and again, I, I sometimes don't love the phrase fake it till you make it because mm-hmm. we're embodied people yeah. like our body and our attitude and our soul, they're, they're, they're one. So this idea, like we'll, we'll often say sometimes on Sundays, sometimes we sing because we believe. Sometimes we sing because we need to believe. Mm, and we challenge right. people like, man, sometimes we're singing a song like Reckless Love. And yep. right now, you don't actually feel like God is yep. coming after you. Yep. That he's like kicking down every door to love you. Yep. Like sometimes singing them. And this is part of what I think so often didn't intend to go here. But like Western Protestantism can miss because we've in a lot of ways, stepped away from some of the the ancient traditions, yeah. some of the rituals, some of these things that were meant to communicate to our body, even if maybe our heart isn't there yet, yeah. this is significant. This matters. This is meaningful. And I think we, we have sometimes allowed sort of whatever we're feeling in that moment to dictate how the rest of our day, week, or month goes. And I think there is something, there is some ancient wisdom to saying, I'm I'm going to act in this way. I'm going to put on a smile even though I'm really, really tired yeah. because it mat- it's meaningful to present to my family, to, even for the first 30 seconds that I walk through the door, yes. that, man, dad's home, mom's yes. home. I love being with you people. Whatever I faced is not in any way, can't hold a candle to being with you right yeah. now. And I, and again, my two-year-old isn't piecing all that together. Like yeah. He's not thinking existentially about But I think your elements. two-year-old, if dad came in angry and grumpy and yelly all the time, he right. wouldn't run to you at the front door. Yeah, right. I think, I think there's something to be said there. You know, and it's it's also the flip side of it's true. Like, it's a good perspective reminder that, you know what? My kids, they love me despite, not despite, it, no matter what happened during my workday. Whether, right. whether I wrote a good sermon or whether I... You know, that's true. You did whatever with at church or whether their radio show was good. My kids. I, that's why I love when you hear like sports guys, uh, athletes talk about like, you know, it doesn't matter whether I have a good game or not. The greatest like kind of leveler is when I get home and my kids just want to play and roll right, around on the floor. Right. So uh, having the right perspective should put a smile on our face. Yeah, man, I get to be with my kid. My, my day was really hard today, but totally. now I get to go be with my wife and kids totally. is uh, is hopefully something that we can grow in. So maybe it's, sometimes it requires like a a forced smile, but hopefully it grows. Hopefully it yeah. grows into that. And I think that's part of it. I think part of the uh, having, again, in, in the in the realm of spiritual disciplines, sometimes doing stuff with your body is like, you know, we'll often encourage people to have their hands, palms open on their lap as a posture, both of surrender, of letting go, but also a posture of receiving. Yeah. And for some people, they're like, I don't want to let go or I don't want to receive. But yeah. sometimes even, you know, Richard Foster talks about the celebration discipline and he talks explicitly about the significance of our posture in correlation to our spiritual formation. We tend to think of spirit as totally separate, so it doesn't matter what I'm doing with my body in this moment. It's why I think, and a lot of us miss this, you know, crossing yourself actually has Mm -hmm. this deep sacred significance that if you don't understand that, it could seem like, oh, well, what does that matter? Well, in the big scheme of things, it actually has a lot of significance. And I think it's those little things that we can, you know, we can easily overlook. Absolutely. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity. If you're just joining us, you have no idea what that is. Uh, our producers have selected stories that we have not read with sound effects we have not heard. So we're going to read them sight unseen. And uh, we're going to just see how it goes. See where I it feel goes. like yesterday's – now, which day was the toe sucking? Was that – I feel like that was two days ago. But was I'm it sure Wednesday? It 
Either way, it was highly uncomfortable. It's been a weird week, and uh, I, there's been a glimmer in our producer's eye anyway, which makes me nervous. So that's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. That wacky, wild music can mean only one thing. It is the end of the show. Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Others of you are going, no, don't worry. Give me more. We're coming back on Monday. But uh, either way, we land the plane the way that we do each and every day, and that is with interweb insanity. It is stories that our producers have found that uh, we have not seen at all, sound effects we have not heard. So we read through them. We usually stumble on the names, Mm -hmm. just as a fair warning. That's kind of a constant struggle in our particular department, but uh, Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Ohio. Okay. Power outage blamed on Mylar balloons. Sure. Utility officials in Ohio said a power outage affecting about 400 customers was caused by released Mylar b- balloons that came into contact with equipment and sparked an explosion. Yikes. No pun intended. <laughs> Cleveland Public Power said Monday's power outage was caused when Mylar oh, balloons, no. also known as foil balloons, came in contact with high-voltage wires, and their metallic coating caused a small explosion. Hmm. The balloons are believed to have come from a small memorial set up for a woman who was killed in a road collision. Oh, jeez. What was that? What was that sound? It sounded a little bit like a hot air balloon. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen the video, by the way, of that couple conducting a funeral service, and they released three doves that represent the Trinity? No. You've not seen this? No. I'm going to show you when the show is done. Okay. It's Father, Son, and then the third Holy Spirit flies in oncoming traffic. <laughs> Have you not seen this? No. It's even better than you're imagining. I love it. All right. I'm going to show you as soon as we're done. Okay. Um, Arkansas, man calls police to report cheeseburger stolen from Motel Nightstand. <laughs> okay. Why is it in the nightstand? A man claims someone stole his cheeseburger off a Motel Nightstand in Benton, Arkansas, in an attempt to solve the alleged hamburglary. That's hilarious. Yeah. Keegan Byers. Keegan. Wait a minute. Keegan. Is that the name of the guy from Good Burger, Home of the Good Burger? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, according to the report, Byers informed the officer he had purchased two che- cheeseburgers at a nearby gas station. He reportedly ate one of the burgers and then placed the other one on the nightstand at the Truett Motel. When Byers woke up hours later, he said the cheeseburger was gone. The report said there was another person sleeping in the room at the time. That individual spoke to police but claimed they did not touch the cheeseburger. Have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah. Yeah, well, here I am, the customer. (laughs) Next one is out of Wisconsin. In one of the more Wisconsin-y headlines you'll ever read, man accused of dousing woman with ranch dressing during dispute. Well, sure. A 53-year-old Racine man is accused of threatening a woman and dousing her in ranch dressing. According to a criminal complaint, on July 30th, the victim called police to report Maurice Thomas was at her home located off Osborne Boulevard threatening to ooh, smash her face. That's not good. Oh, geez. The complaint says Thomas grabbed the victim. No, no, that's still bad. Investigators say during the altercation, Thomas grabbed a bottle of ranch dressing from the table and began chasing the victim around, squirting the ranch dressing at her. This is where it gets, this is where it gets funny. Before throwing the entire bottle in her direction, uh, the victim was hit in the chest with the ranch dressing, uh, and the authorities say that she yelled for another person to call the police. Bring me my ranch dressing hose. <laughs> <laughs> He's like my commentary through it. Nope, this is bad. <laughs> I have no idea why it made me laugh so much. But I'm reading what you're reading. I go, oh, that's not good. And then you kept reading it. Oh, no, that's still bad. 
So innocent. <laughs> so sweet. What we were proving is that we've never read <laughs> yeah, these before true. we read them. Oh, boy, that was funny to me. All right. <laughs> uh, Oregon, woman punched boyfriend for leaving her dog outside in the rain. The Myrtle Point woman punched her boyfriend in the face because he left her dog outside in the rain. That's exactly what I just said. <laughs> According to the Coos County Sheriff's Office, deputies responded shortly after 6 p.m. on Tuesday after someone reported an assault in the town of Myrtle Point. When they arrived at the scene, a man named James told deputies his girlfriend, 38 Melissa Sue Morris had punched him in the face. Deputies observed a marble-sized welt and a scratch mark on James's right eyebrow. Uh, James stated that he was talking to Melissa when she punched him in the face two times. That's all right. Okay. Uh, what was that? I don't know what that was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I like that they called him just a man named James. Yeah, he doesn't get a last name. It's just some guy who claims his name was James. James. But at least the girlfriend's a Christian because she had a dog. Oh, uh, oh nice. Uh-huh. If someone's just joining us. They are so confused. That's a real non sequitur. Uh, Ireland, passengers on hijacked minibus did not realize a crime was underway. Three airline passengers who were sitting in a hotel shuttle bus. This is going to be from Speed, I think. I'm calling it now. Yeah. When it was stolen from the Dublin airport, did not realize any crime was underway until after they were allowed off the vehicle. The English couple and a Colombian national were being collected by a shuttle bus from Terminal 2 uh, just before 1 a.m. However, when two men from Comeath got on the bus and drove it away while the driver was not on board, the passengers did not realize anything untoward was happening. Oh. The vehicle, a Ford Transit, was stolen when the driver stepped away for the moment. The suspects, who were related to each other and are from Navon, drove the shuttle bus from the airport up the M1 and pulled off at Junction 7, dropping their passengers at the City North Hotel. And everybody is screaming because the driver, he's passed out because of all the commotion. The bus is out of control. Oh, <laughs> So this I grab go him for a by while, the collar, I take him out of the seat, I get go. behind the wheel, now I'm driving the bus. <laughs> You're Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am Batman. The then the mugger, he Oh, I remember this scene. So I'm fighting him off with one hand, and I kept driving the bus with the other, you know? <laughs> then I managed to open up the door, and I kicked him out the door, you know, with my foot, you know, at the next stop. You kept making all the stops? <laughs> <laughs> Well, people kept ringing the bell. <laughs> I love that scene. That's that a, really good. That's a pretty solid way to end the week, though. That you really good Friday. Yes, that was good. <laughs> this guy, this guy loves Friday. I love my Friday. So I, I love your love for Friday, Brian Thank Fromm. You. Well, we hope you had fun. We hope you'll join us next week every day, Monday through Friday, from four to six p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, my name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and the Common Good, right here on AM eleven sixty. Have a great weekend, everyone.